And hello, thank you for joining us. It is Friday, August 21st in the year 2020. Uh, my name is Shale Riley. I'm here with Feiku, Mia Songbird, Sheridan Lund. We are the Yang Gang Roundtable, a basic income advocacy podcast producing three or four episodes every weekend, advocating for basic income and uh, bridging gaps in the basic income community. Uh, among other things, we're going to talk about Sheridan's, uh, I'm going to call it a manifesto if you don't mind, Sheridan, uh, Sheridan's uh, 60, 57 page now, I think. Yeah, you trimmed it down on the most recent uh, edit. 57 page uh, short writing on the necessity from a logistical and ethical perspective for UBI in America's immediate future. It's a good read. Uh, I did read through it. And uh, So who else has has read the whole thing? Faye, did you, did you finish it? Oh, so you, you laughed. I, I I was uh, a little busy yeah. this week, but uh, yeah. you know what? It's I'm a big happy to, to be here to hear about it and to talk about it. Yeah, I don't. I know. But I, I heard that uh, I heard that Mia had something even more extreme happen, and I haven't actually heard. That's the, true. That's true. We want to talk yet. about that. Uh, Maybe we should start we there. Get to the book. Okay, now yeah. Sheridan, if if it's like 45 minutes in and we've gone on a tangent, please do come back. And uh, insist we talk about the book. Uh, so oh. we'll start. We'll start with the, with Mia, and then we will uh, we'll move on. Well, so, on the so. record, I did read the book just for this, although it wasn't days ago. So Thank I you. am like rebrowsing to get some uh, topic starters for when we do that as we go through. But yeah, I have had an interesting and rough start to my morning, and it's been even worse for my poor hubby, who is uh, actually in the background here trying to relax while I'm doing the podcast. Normally, he'd head out and watch Tristan, but he's just beat. Basically, what happened was my son, Tristan, has been having a great time um, being upstairs in the bathroom. And his favorite thing to do now is clog drains and then fill them up with water. And when the water fills up, it starts to spill off onto the floor. The floor is technically the ceiling to my bedroom. And my bedroom then gets flooded with the water from whatever thing Tristan has decided to overflow that day. This has happened twice now, um, at least to the extent that we've had to uh, mitigate the mess afterwards. And uh, this time it was the toilet. So on top of which we have the wonderful fun of trying to get toilet water out of the ceiling after being filtered through ceiling tiles. Wow. It's it's an absolute mess. I have no way to afford to uh, fix it. There are multiple things that if we had a UBI, um, I would uh, do to fix that problem. Like uh, one, sealing the bathroom floor upstairs to the extent that it wouldn't drip anymore if something should happen. Two, replacing the uh, tiles in the ceiling and maybe putting some plastic in above that so that it flows off away from the bed if it should happen anyways. And then obviously three, my bed now has toilet water soaking through all of it deep in. And uh, I would really love to replace the bed before it starts to smell in a couple days here. I'm trying to dry it out once Dave's gotten his rest, probably with a hand um, blow dryer. And uh, oh, it's just awful. And it's not going to stop. This is never going to stop. Tristan is 13. This is not some toddler, you know, who's having a rough time and an experimental stage where this is one fix. 
he will be doing these kinds of things, causing these unpredictable little emergencies that we are not prepared for until my dying day, when my son Toby takes over the job of uh, taking care of his kid, or this kid, and uh, ends up inheriting all of these issues. But we're the only ones who oh, are going yeah. to ever, you know, be willing to put out this much effort and still, like, love him on a personal level. You know, if you send him to a home or something, yeah, they might be better prepared to deal with these emergencies at the last moment, but they're not going to treat him with the care and the love and the attention that he needs to be able to be calm in the other moments when he's fine and happy. Mia, the kind of love and devotion it takes to um, take care of practically anybody. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I talked to my, my six-year-old, you know, and he's like, um, I said, when mommy's old, you know, you might have to take care of me. And he says to me, um, I, I asked him, like, uh, you know, like I said, <clears throat> I said at some point, I said, well, I don't. But there's one thing, you know, when I when I if I get older, you know, I don't want anybody to ever have to, you know, wipe my butt for me or something like that. Right. He says to me, Mommy, I will wipe your butt for you. <laughs> He's six years old. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it takes so much um you know just every day getting along with any other person and then to have an additional you know burden of knowing that you know he's going to be difficult in many ways i can understand like you're already concerned about what's going to happen in the future just like andrew yang has been saying you know it's it's maybe a difficult future for one of for his he also has two children one of whom is autistic and so it's like you see it coming and you just want to make sure that they're going to be okay and that it isn't going to be, you know, just a clash of personalities or something that, that ends up, uh, you know, creating a, uh, like a forever, um, like this is a person who may become mistreated, you know, and you just don't want that to ever happen. You want your kids to always be okay, no matter, you know, no matter, even when we're not here anymore to, to watch over them. And, and and right now we just don't give enough value to that kind of caregiving. We don't we don't have any value whatsoever. It feels like sometimes because we don't get paid to take care of people, um, unless it's somebody else you know who is not in your family, which just makes no sense to me. I don't understand how that works. Like our society is somehow failed. In like in like a three hour radius, there is no one. Even if <laughs> even if there was somebody here who I could have them pay to be a caregiver for Tristan. We've had caregivers come into the house before, respite workers. They're not trained. They're not qualified. They just sit there and stare at him while doing nothing with him. And uh, no one's qualified for like three hours out at least around here. Well, so we don't even get like a babysitter. Anybody could be qualified if they just loved him as much as you do. Which there is yeah. no person, uh, you know. There's no training you can give anybody you, for that, though. You have to just love a person to love a person. And that happens by knowing them, not by being hired. That's absolutely true. That's what they say, the money can't buy love. You can't buy you love. But um, there are very loving people, and they're very good caregivers. You just don't know who they're going to be. And you don't know if they're going to match, match up with the person that needs the care. Well, they also pay respite workers for crud. Um, 
it's it's a bad it's a bad position all the way around. And Michigan has some of the worst support systems of pretty much anywhere. If I had the money to move, I'd move. Ugh. We need a UBI so badly, just everyone. But like, they cannot possibly begin to be able to prescribe solutions for situations that they can't predict could ever happen. You know. Giving people money for EBT does not help in a situation where everything is collapsing around you and you don't know what the issue is going to be. I can't pay to fix the ceiling with uh, food stamps. So I was thinking about my thought process, you know, and the, in terms of, you know, when I get old, I would rather just die than to have somebody have to wipe my butt. <laughs> right? Because I have I calculated that, you know, over a period of six years of diaper changing because I had three children and two years each. Right. So about six years of, of diaper changing, I'm thinking to myself, I've changed how many thousands of diapers now. <laughs> and I'm like, one day I might be an adult who might need a diaper myself again. You know, I might come back into that second childhood one day. And my thought process was, you know, well, I wouldn't want anybody else to have to deal with that. Right. And so many elderly people are just, I mean, I can't imagine the 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 chagrin of having to have somebody else take care of you again after you've been capable and taking care of other people your whole lives and then uh yeah a, a kind of poetic justice for my own children to have to do it for me one day but i don't wouldn't even wish it on them but here's you know zephyr like as a little kid he's already saying i would take that up and i'm like are you kidding me a six-year-old willing to do that you know and so I'm, like, I'm thinking, how, who in the world would you be able to say, yeah, oh, sure, I volunteer for that project? <laughs> yeah, the only person who's volunteered so far has been his brother, who loves him just as much as me and his dad. But Tristan there actually you go. didn't get potty trained until he was 10 because of his cognitive difficulties. And even now he doesn't uh, wow. wipe fully on his own. So, yeah. Uh, he needs a second wipe from an adult who is paying attention and actually cares because he just doesn't, he doesn't care. I know that sounds ridiculous. You would think that he would because it has to be bothersome and such. But if you don't do it for him, it just doesn't get done right. Right. And all kinds of uh, additional secondary problems then develop. And his oh, yeah. mentality would change. I mean, he's, 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 uh, I think... The effect on um, everybody, you know, is the personality changes when you're not when you're not well cared for, and then it becomes a negative cycle, you know. And uh, I feel like you are doing the very best that you can, just like so many other people are trying to do that for their family. But when you do that, you do it out of love, and you don't get any, you know, recognition from the society other than. The occasional, you know, wow, you're so amazing, Mia, you know, but uh, financially speaking, you know, everybody's just, just like, well, you're just going to have to suck it up and find a way and be doing all of this extra work and loving um, and not have any sort of, uh, you know, no basis to actually uh, exercise your own freedoms. And it just becomes a very uh, difficult pressure, pressure situation when you can't devote yourself to any of the things that you that um fully because you have you know you have to do this you have to do all of the things and it's just an extra it feels like an extra burden on people when society can easily um sort of spread out this burden to everybody considering that everybody comes into the world you know as a baby and the most amazing thing about human babies is that they just need so much care 
they can't get up and walk, you know. Like, I see the little baby animals get born into the world, and, like, within hours, they're up and jumping around and moving, you know. Or within seconds, they're already swimming in the ocean or whatever. But our babies have to literally be held around, right? We have to carry them. They can barely, like, like turn themselves over. <laughs> you lay them down, they can't even flip over, you know. And then it takes a long time for them to learn how to walk or, or crawl. My first child never crawl, uh, didn't even start walking for like a whole year. So, uh, right? It's just like every single kid has all of this stuff to do. Uh, and it's not just, you know, oh, some some kids that are very special need so much more care. Yes, that's true. But every single one of us was born into the world needing a lot of care. And not all of us, you know, have what we need when we come into the world. Some some of us just born into a family that doesn't have much. Or into a um, into a broken family, yeah. and yeah, everybody should get a chance to 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 do well, right? Absolutely. You know, Tristan's basically going to have the functions of a three year old for his entire life. But this kind of stuff happens to new parents who are unprepared too, all the time. They uh, a kid gets into something you never thought they'd get into. They go to a place you never thought they'd go, and suddenly you have a disaster you have to take care of. And if you don't, you, you can't not, you know? There's no not. I'm, I'm, like I said, I am a little bit flustered. Before we started uh, this conversation, I mentioned that, like, talking about this kind of stuff, it's, it's very stressful, so it puts me into kind of a spin-out. But I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's much, address, it just like, keeps happening. And I just, I'm, I'm tired. I'm so tired. And I don't know what to do about it. Except for keep on, like, fighting for the Yang Gang and UBI because that's the only way I can see out for me. And I know there's people in worse positions. And, like, if we do not get a UBI, I am eventually going to fall into a pit of just everything around me being broken and unusable and filthy and disgusting. And I just, it's insane. I'm going insane. <laughs> You're pushing it back every single day, and there's it feels like you can't quite make it. It's like every day it feels like sometimes it's getting a little worse, and sometimes it's getting a little better. But there's no significant. You, it's hard to see like where is that? Uh, what could push push it into a space where finally you can just see the light at the end of the tunnel? Like I'm going right. Absolutely, and I, I at the moment that is the light. This is the light. It's why even though it is hard for me to get time, I still go to Humanity Forward, it hangs, I still do this. This matters to me in a different way. It's the first thing I've made time for outside of my family. And like, <sighs> I do appreciate that you guys are here and listening, even though I'm rambling. And I know that... No, no, I appreciate that you're sharing your story. You're not rambling. This is the content that I started the show to produce. This is the content I started the show to record, and I'm completely grateful that you're giving this story and uh, sharing it with people who would not otherwise hear it, because people must know what is happening in America in 2020. So please continue. Mia, you are a treasure for our for our group. I mean, to I'm always excited when I'm able to match up with you on a day when you're going to be there. And, um, you know, I just feel like... It's such, I don't think our listeners necessarily know, like, what it takes for some of us to get here to the program. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my son. He's always having to wait for me when I come to do this, and sometimes he gets upset by it. 
And I know that you also have that issue is that sometimes your family just needs you so much you can't walk away for even, you know, one hour or two hours to do something of your own. Certainly, I know it's it's like as a parent, if you're the one taking care of your children all the time, it's hard to even like have time to go to the bathroom and know for sure that they're going to be okay for those, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I know there's a lot of potty talk today from me, but honestly, it's like... Um, you're now dealing with a situation where, you know, you've got toilet water in your bed. What is the solution? You're, you're just going to dry it out. And it's just, but, but we would like to be able to maybe replace that bed. What do you think? Yeah, that would be like ideal. It would be ideal if I could replace it. I don't think I know anybody who would want to sleep on a bed that's had toilet water in it. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking, how would I even deal with that? Would I take it outside and like, drench it again with water and maybe like that there's this enzymatic cleaner stuff right it's called uh kids and pets or something like that it's it's a little i mean to me it's a little bit expensive because i don't have any money but if i had some of that i would put it all over you know the and let the enzymes break it down and make sure that it um, helps to take take away any sort of smell it'll have it'll replace it with a different kind of little slightly cleanser smell but it's very you know it's it's comfortable smell and uh and like maybe let the sunshine do some work on it if if i wasn't able to replace it what what do you think are those any are any of those options available to you do you have a yard where you could like maybe dry it out outside take it outside i can definitely do that uh, as far as an enzyme clean, cleaner or whatnot goes like i i had to get a hundred dollars from somebody who um who was incredibly generous just to be able to get groceries in to be able to feed my kids at the end of this month, I can't afford cleaners even, and it's insane. It's, but I think, I think we should try to fundraise uh, maybe a clean mattress for you. I think we could probably handle that. What do you think? I think that I have taken so much generosity from the Yang Gang that I feel like a burden and a problem whenever I ask for things like that, and I don't want to put anybody out. I know these are hard times for everyone, and it just... Uh, I, 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 nobody should have to help me. I, that's, that's, that's the whole point of this, right? Actually, I think the whole point is that everyone should be helping you in a, in a systematic way. That is, the government should be handling this so that it doesn't create an additional burden uh, in the psyche for everybody involved. I mean, when you say that, you're feeling like, yes, when you tell your story, everybody is here about and feel sad inside. We feel so sad when we hear it that it just, you know, and you can feel it reverberating back to yourself. So it's kind of this, you know, but but if you don't tell your story and you don't ask for help, you shouldn't have to go it alone, actually. This is not something, no humans were built to live alone. Being alone is considered one of the cruelest punishments we can give to anybody. That's how voodoo works. You cast somebody out of the society and they just die from not being not being supported. Same thing with, um, you know, if you're in jail, you put, you're in punishment, they can find a way of even harsher punishment for you by putting you into solitary. Just by being alone, you know, your chances of survival is just so much worse. And that is not right for social creatures. That's not natural to us. Whenever somebody hears your story, they naturally want to help you. That's just how it works. There's, there's, I can't think of anybody who would be so uh, heartless as to think, oh, um, this is not a situation that we need to remedy, right? I 
Yeah. I mean, I'd want to help somebody else in the same position. It's just, like I said, I have taken a lot of help and I feel guilty for taking that help and that I know that this isn't the last emergency I'm going to have and that there's so many people, they all, oh. There's no, no shame in taking the help that you need and the shame should really be on our untenable society for putting you in a situation where you need help over and over again despite you putting in nothing but hard work, making nothing but good choices, being nothing but reasonable, kind, and good. So this is not your fault at all. Don't internalize the myth of personal responsibility that keeps us from progressing as a society. Just take the money that you need to live and to keep your family alive and don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, you should ask. Um, I mean, I'm not a particularly religious person. As everybody knows, I'm Pastafarian. But I think if you don't, um, you know, if you need something, you should be able to ask the universe for it and it will provide, right? That was the original way that that um, things worked before we mucked it all up with all these laws and societies and cultural norms and so forth. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you needed something, you went out into the world and you found it. It's just there. It's the creator or whatever it is, you know, the universe is there for you to take from what you need. And it's not, uh, you know, I think Sheila is absolutely right that some, when, when you do need something, you've identified a need. This is a time that you need to just, you know, um, not, not get into the whole, you know, why do I need it? All of these things. Everybody needs, everybody has so many needs, you know, and some people are able to meet them. Um, on their own, but some people just are going to need uh, help, and it's fine. That's 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 the way we were built. <laughs> and you bring so much, you bring so much to other, you know. You you are taking you are giving your time every single day to um, other people, and yeah, yeah, that's just how that works. Yeah, I I, I agree with Faye. You should feel okay, uh, you know, trying to get the things you need to live to 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 feel like a a human being with a baseline quality of light uh, of security and dignity. And you should not feel any guilt about pursuing that no matter how many resources it takes, because the system has created a situation where the resources spent to keep you alive are woefully inefficient just as a, as a perverse disincentive to, to do it. It's just, it's a terrible, terrible economic and cultural place we're in in America in 2020, and that's why we do this show, to record it so people really know on the ground level who the normal people in the war on normal people are, who the, who the real people who suffer in America because of these policies and this culture and this economy are. I want to invite, um, I wanted to say hi to Moto, who just showed up. Should oh, hey. Hi, Moto. Or hey, Moto. Welcome to the show. <laughs> you came in. When I was, uh, we were just having a heavy moment. How's it going? Oh, he's, uh, he's on mute. I don't know if he may be. He may not I have be no fully. Idea. We'll, fig- he we'll may figure not it be out. Fully present at the moment. Maybe. Okay. I, uh, anyway, anyway, moment to the book. One of the things Sheridan prescribes. Yeah. Uh, thank you. There is one hundred thousand dollars to anybody turning eighteen. Now, I imagine if that actually could become reality, being able to turn this house into a haven for Tristan, as opposed to a thing I'm trying to keep patched together enough to keep him safe in. And I think about the opportunity that would provide for people to really set themselves up and start on a good foot. And I think that is absolutely beautiful, ideologically. 
I think um, that is really interesting because it relates back to um, to the uh, Thomas Paine's uh, agrarian justice, where he felt that uh, human beings were sometimes born into the world with no land. And without land, that's the natural resource uh, and, a, and a patch of resources to, to start from that belong to you, then um, you may actually be born into the world with absolutely nothing to sustain you. And so um, it was unfair for some people to be born into that situation and for others to have so much land that and property that uh, it easily you know, creates more wealth for them and uh, therefore gives them a, a means of survival. So um, he also said that in that you should be able to have a certain amount of uh, money with which you could go ahead and purchase that land once you came of age. But of course, I think at the time, they were once again just thinking of men and not women. <laughs> what do you say, Sheridan? Is that is that um, essentially the same idea? or? Uh, to an extent, I really loved... Jefferson's uh, land, uh, basically land grant idea to give everyone some cash from a pool collected by landowners. Uh, Because uh, unfortunately we do have on earth limited land until we start doing incredible space development and actually doing real uh, solar habitation. Uh, We won't really be able to get more land. But we do need to manage more people because we are going to need more people to get up into space. So I really love that capitalism provides a direct, easy way to provide resources to people that doesn't restrict resources from other people. And that's really the core of all of this. We aren't using capitalism right. I absolutely agree with you on that matter. Um, You can't even go fishing without a fishing license. You can't go hunting deer and get enough to provide for your family necessarily because there's a limit on how much you can do of that. And I wouldn't want to do either of those things anyways because I'm a pacifist and the idea of hurting an animal makes me feel terrible. I would rather somebody else do it for me so I don't have to think about it. (laughs) Beyond that, our uh, natural resources aren't actually that great at uh, multiplying themselves. For example, the polar bear I uh, listed directly in my book. We aren't going to expend the inordinate amount of resources to reverse the extinction of polar bears. We just aren't. So if the natural world isn't able to keep up its uh, life, then why should we be adding on to that by pressuring it down when we have farms that are literally dumping food because it is cheaper to trash food than to give it away because it is expensive to actually transport food? very backwards dynamic too. Uh, it defeats the purpose of creating the food in the first place. So you put out My, the for the food, you waste it, and then you don't like uh, take into account the um, ways that it could have been used and the value that would have um, added to that food. Exactly, because a, a farmer worked hard on that. He bought uh, Uh, fertilizers, pesticides, all which were likely formed from fossil fuels or derivatives of petroleum, which had to be mined up through more carbon expensive procedures. It just disrupts the entire value chain when that food is wasted. It's, it's an, it's a grotesque in my opinion, because we have literally, and I described in my book in chapter three, 
um, what I believe to have been the great filter for us as animals. And uh, throughout this entire book, I try to describe what I believe is the great filter that we are forming on ourselves. We shaped the environment. That goes directly opposite to Darwin's theory of natural selection, where animals have to die to the environment and whichever ones are left survive. The fact that we can change our environment to be more suitable to us defies natural selection. And we're doing that to such a degree that we are actually killing ourselves by the same mechanisms. Now, when you refer to the great filter, are you referring to like um, the scientific uh, thought of why there aren't other civilizations at our level that are communicating with us specifically? Yes, I do. When I talk about the great filter, I'm talking about the Fermi paradox great filter and why we don't see other advanced life that has waste heat and advanced communications or why we don't see incredible godlike natural um, formations that are what we would describe intelligent. Since we don't see either of those, I believe we're the firstborn and we have an incredible responsibility. I see. Okay. So as a biologist, this is kind of interesting to me. Um, What you're saying here is that um, we're creating the fact that we can change our environment is actually going to hasten our downfall. (laughs) Because at some point we will not be able to continue forming that environment to our to our needs. No, 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 no. Uh, That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying the way we have been forming our environment without any constraint or thought to our actual growth as a species in an absent solar system with no other life that we can find, even on uh, Titan or even like bacteria, something simple. We can't even find that. And we aren't doing anything. We should be on the moon with heavy industry. We should be developing a transport system for Venus, Venus to Mars, and we're barely getting space internet. We are woefully behind, in my opinion. But yeah, well, if you think that's the danger, that's the real danger of the Fermi paradox that we don't know it behind who is the real question. If we're the firstborn, we have responsibility to do it quick and to do it right. But if we aren't, we have to do it even faster. Um, behind ourselves is an actual answer to that question, I think, too. Because if you think about how much we've put into investing into military goals and things that are destructive to us as a species compared to the amount we've put into science, technology, the um, the environment, we have done nothing, really, by comparison to how much we've done towards war to try and change our path to something more peaceful and more useful. The amount we invest into defense, the amount we invest into everything but people is far outscaling how much we're investing in ourselves. And that's not really sustainable, is it? No, it's not. I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit um, and the absurdity of our current government slowing down on these stimulus payments. It is directly telling the American citizens among all the national subsidies, among the massive military budget, the American citizens are not a national security interest. What are we securing? Well, ideally, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But unfortunately, the past few decades have been very focused on the military-industrial complex and wasteful financial speculation. If you look at where we are technologically right now, where, how far, much farther do you think we'd be if we had actually done 
like the kind of investing towards the future that would push forward technologies, push forward humanitarianism and such. It's not where we are. It's where we could be. Exactly. I, I actually was uh, reading a, my text for my solar class that I'm going to be doing this next semester. And we developed the process by which we could capture photons and turn them into electrons back in 1838. We refined that into a cell in 1888. And by the 1950s, we had silicon solar panels that were half decent. There was an estimate, I cannot remember by what institute, but in the next 100 years, we are going to feel 20,000 years of technological progression. If we had started solar panel distribution back in 1950, or even invested in it so that we had a fully solar nation by 2000, we would be at least three to 6,000 years of technological progression, or at least what it'd feel like ahead of where we are now. Okay, so I I don't know if you've um, heard of something called the thermodynamic theory of the origin of life. I have, I have, and it's fantastic. (laughs) I love it. I do believe that in some primordial suit, that is where it all started. Just got to shake off this heat. It's a little warm. Well, so the idea is that, you know, our planet has a kind of a heat bath around it. And um, there was a whole, you know, in general, people kind of think of uh, biology as being kind of counter counter to the idea of thermodynamics because life seems to reorganize itself in more and more complex patterns uh, versus, you know, what what we think of as entropy is supposed to be the rule of physics. You know, if whenever you try to do something, any kind of work you then you create entropy and you create more disorder in the world. <clears throat> but life seems to be doing the opposite of that when we talk about evolution and things like that. And so um, the interesting thing about this thermodynamic um, theory of life is it's very simple. That if you take uh, you know, a planet with a little heat bath around it that's trapping the heat, and then you shine a light on it very brightly like, this, like the sun, and therefore put a lot of extra energy into this small, um, you know, a subset of or the small area of the world of the universe then uh interesting things tend to happen and uh the uh things that actually uh seem like it creates patterns and creates uh ways you know that are actually it creates structures that are useful in dissipating that heat so that it doesn't like completely uh destroy itself right if you put too much energy into a system it should explode if you don't if you don't find a way to dissipate it or I organize it into some sort of structure i completely <laughs> agree because um and that's why i describe in my book capitalism is perfectly made for our zero sum universe as we see it right now as our physics can describe it there is a set amount of matter and a set amount of energy that our universe has and how humanity uses that energy and uses that matter defines what we are as a species. And the way that capitalism can describe this value is brilliant. For example, our paper money is cotton and some ink and some branding by the U.S. government. All of that costs 20 cents per paper bill. If you make $100 bills, the value addition from printing that money 
from cotton into face value dollars is incredibly high. And that is a thermodynamic description of how to create a great system of energy. But clearly, none of us care about printed cotton as as far as our economy goes. We care about food, luxuries, education, uh, ambition, and attainment. We don't care about printing more money. We care about how we print that money and how we get to it. You do discuss cryptocurrency a little bit in the exchange of electrons as another uh, method of... Uh creating money. Uh, do you want to go into that a little bit since they're kind of related subjects? I do. Um, I'm not sure if you were with us for the uh, cryptocurrency talk with uh, Faye. She asked a few of these questions and I uh, described then. Right now, cryptocurrency could be used as a derivative of electrons, but it's really a lot more like a stock or a bond right now. The cryptocurrency market isn't a real currency exchange market. It's far more like our stocks where you can buy into a company and it can be either a great company that's really trying to innovate on what its product is, which is a digital currency, or it could be a fly-by-night operation that's just trying to scam money. Dogecoin is actually an interesting parody. It falls into more of the uh, uh, human freedom. That's something I would actually consider a valuable coin. They made this coin with super basic uh, rules, super basic um, things, basically copied Bitcoin and then slapped Doge on it as a joke and said people will pay money for anything. And they kind of were. Capitalism can even be used for these prankish activities like Elon Musk launching a car into space. Or that giant pit that Cars for Humanity did on Christmas a few years back. (laughs) Exactly. So it, it really can be beautiful and fun with uh, interesting ways of doing things. But there are definite actors who are more interested in getting cash because they are desperate. And a basic income just w- would remove that desperation. It kind of feels like desperation is our current currency. It really is. I mean, think about why both parties are having an incredibly difficult time coming around to the fact that means testing is a slowing problem in our economy and other economies are actually introducing more stimulus and seeing incredible benefits. Um, I guess it's a matter of time. And yet at the same time, they're so people are so desperate to maintain the current structure that I think they will blind themselves until it literally collapses. Well, uh, Andrew Yang called that, uh, constructive institutionalism where people think that they're upholding the uh, proper values by saying no. For example, growth is good in America is an assumption of our GDP measurements, which I uh, eviscerated in my book. I hope you enjoyed Um, that. uh, We always need to keep growing our GDP because that's the only thing that matters to improving our lives. Uh, I was listening to Freakonomics this morning with um, Kate uh, Raworth, Uh, a fantastic England economist. And she was describing how, yes, for low-income developing nations, growth is good because that means there's more money flowing around and there's so little in those countries that people are really aggressive in getting their resources. So you don't need much regulation to enhance those resource channels. But in developed nations, you can actually get too aggressive where big businesses cranks up the numbers without uh, any regard to actual production or valuation. For example, 
um, the online shopping uh, business called Shopify, um, which helps uh, small businesses integrate into an e-commerce setting with a, a monthly fee. Their valuation on the stock market is greater than the entire e-commerce market in five years. The, the, the money that is going into financial markets is so unbelievably large that, the, that I can't even begin to describe what kind of a bubble this is. And it's all because of inflation targets. By making people feel that their cash is worthless or at least continuing to degrade, they look for alternatives. They want to buy things. And I get that for economic reasons to get people to spend their money. And that's generally good, but not when it's invested in, uh, improperly. Uh, when you're just dumping money into the stock market, yes, you'll get a return, but it's not producing anything. It's not making any new items for people to buy. I think that's one of the big problems with like artificial intelligence and such doing stock markets. And I've had people who do stock markets tell me, no, that's not really how it works. But I feel like people should have to know what product they're investing in before they can invest. Oh, yeah. Like um, the way I like to describe the stock market is it's fantastic for small investors to store what little they have. And it's a great exit for large investors. But that's basically all it is. Well, okay. So the the stock market, yes, it does do those things. But I think one of the real issues with our money system is that the way that we conceive of money is really, it can only be useful in terms of getting things that are rare or limited. Okay. So if, if you have an abundance of things, right, our system doesn't really work because things that are abundant and yet necessary, right? Like air, air is absolutely necessary to your health. <laughs> you have to have it. That's like the most basic thing. You stop breathing, you are not going to survive very long. But air is not something we pay for. We can't, I mean, we can't value how much, uh, you know, it's not based on how much you need it, but based on how available it is. You actually right? can. I, I really love this because I talk about scarcity economics as well. There are a lot of flaws with the current scarcity model, but I love that you bring up air because it's a, such a great example. Air is so abundant on earth that it is free. There's no way for anyone to regulate it or control it because there is so much of it held to this rock by gravity. Uh, right. But now a, if you could corner it, now say you, you start bottling up the water, for example, water should be free, right? But but water that is clean, okay, and then is bottled in a certain way or does, you know, if you could somehow, you know, package it up and then now you could sell it. I could I could sell a canister of air because now I bottled it and somehow and, it's more useful. <laughs> and that actually, I, I would say that's completely viable. There is a lot of capitalistic and economic theory to support that someone who puts through the effort to canister and waste the energy to canister air, or if they filter it for something useful, or if they do any kind of value addition, they should absolutely be compensated. And there should, in theory, be more than enough abundant air to have alternatives for people who can't afford that. And okay, that's the problem see. for a government to manage social unrest. That's where right. I like to talk about social capitalism, <laughs> where we can't just be following the greed and following the destruction of wants. It was great when we were starving with nothing, but now we have empires 
We have to be responsible. We have to be cognizant of what we can do and what our abilities do on millions of people. Everyone can affect millions of people nowadays simply by shooting a tweet off. We've also had multiple transitions as far as like how we decide how to compensate people for things since our um, inception as human beings. So there's no... Oh, I completely why. agree. We can't transition to another new stage with taking into account like you highlight the scorecard idea a lot in your writing there. So- I do. I do. Because it, it it's really brilliant uh, for a market to actually know what it needs. Right now, we're really lost to the free market. We're like an empty void of all kinds of people and companies shouting out, I have the answers, I have the data, and then a bunch of other people going, oh, I can advertise from this market and this audience. And there's no coherent way for new entrants to navigate it. They just have to get experience in these segments and understand what the market is like. And if we had a scorecard that actually showed where we were having demand shortages, where we were having labor shortages, where people were having problems fulfilling their production, either because people couldn't move to a better community or because a community was actually just lacking a certain skill. That kind of information is very opaque and people have to do a lot of deep research when it should be clear and apparent for the entire nation every year. For example, uh, for the autistic community here in Michigan and having a map of where there's better resources for my son would be a great idea for me. I can see how it would work for him. Oh, absolutely. I I talk about the uh, federal jobs guarantee that a lot of the Bernie supporters really loved. And I tell them, what about a federal jobs board that's cheaper, easier, and enhances the free market? It allows I don't see anything wrong with those, um, with uh, these these particular types of, uh, you know, work boards and so forth. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The, 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 what's really basically wrong with the system is that we have a system that does not want everybody to have enough. Because if everybody had enough, like I said, the abundance makes something not valuable anymore. So it's it's your benefit in our system to keep something that you know how to make rare. Right. And that's the same reason why we want our money to be. That's uh, you talk about the uh, ideas needing to be rare so that people can capitalize on it. And I agree. Yeah. And uh, we don't want every single person to have the ability to get this medicine because that's not what our system is built for. We want people to fight over a rare amount of medicine. We want people to fight over a rare amount of water, a rare amount of, uh, you know, The scarcity ideals are a major fight for social capitalists, yes. And the underpinning of it is that capital, just like ideas, I can share an idea with you and you and I have an idea, both of us. We have two ideas together because I shared it with you. The fact that we can put money into a business and get more money out of it because other people paid into it is a phenomenal, phenomenal mechanism a value addition. And that is how we've built the world around us. And we simply have to get everyone behind the idea that dollars are infinite. We can absolutely make more dollars if we need them to be. 
The important thing I'm is controlling. Thank you. <laughs> the important thing is controlling the value of those dollars so that people will keep holding those dollars instead of throwing them away into some worthless asset, not producing anything of real value. We need people to actually look at businesses, starting their own businesses, buying quality of life enhancements that make them better producers. That is how we increase our economy and increase our livelihoods at the same time. And how do we make it, how do we put in your social capitalist system, right, a value on having enough for every single person? Because in in the old capitalist system, right, having enough for every single person means you've just made your product worthless or you've made your idea worthless because everybody can use it. And that's so how, the, yeah, how do we that's the incredible that? responsibility of the federal government to manage the money supply. They have to manage where taxes are and how heavy those taxes are and how much subsidy goes to production sectors and how much basic income goes to the consumer market, as well as how much debt we manage and what hedge funds we can put into other foreign interests. You basically describe um, the VAT as, I think in gaming terms, we would call it a money sink in order to stop inflation from getting out of hand, as opposed to not printing enough money for everybody. Right. Like not having enough money in the world artificially limits what people can do. But if you take the, but but if you, if you issue that money out in the first place, people can still decide where they think the money should go. So everybody is participating in the currently like government function of deciding what's important. It Uh, actually frees the power back in people's hands. Yeah. I talk about how capitalism and democracy have a lot of similar um, fundamentals and how they also have some similar flaws. This is one of those powerful fundamentals of capitalism where if you actually give everyone a starting point, like in Monopoly or any other game that has a point system where you start with something and gain more, you are able to actually do creative things instead of being stuck where you are in whatever negative loop you find yourself in. Like you uh, described a lot, Faye, humans are born as babies with luckily if uh, to have parents. There's uh, no guarantee of any support. And that's where the government absolutely has to step up. And charities <laughs> have long since become obsolete. They are just incapable of dealing with millions of people when we actually have so much abundance that we have millions of unwanted people. Yeah, charities are not scaling up properly to be able to handle a problem like this. Well, and we they don't have, have the resources to. Depend to. on charity. That's the main issue. Well, Why I, are we depending on charity when we should if, just create if, the system that works? If we That's lived in a perfect one. world, in my opinion, a perfect capitalistic world, we would have amazing charities that would rival the size of Amazon and the federal government. But we don't. Well, there should, there's nothing wrong with having a charity, but it shouldn't be something that you have to depend on in order to just survive or, you know. Well, I mean, there, should be, there should be alternatives. Alternatives are the basis of capitalism. The choice to spend your dollars elsewhere is so important to the democratic functions of capitalism. So, yeah, there's, uh, I don't think anybody's against the existence of charities or somebody providing a better alternative. I would be shocked uh, if someone yeah, was. There just needs to be something. Uh, we need to have a system that, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't depend on, you know, capitalists coming in to perform vital functions or phil- philanthropy to come in and produce, you know, just take care of vi- basic needs is not something that um, 
you know, people should need to depend on um, individual, well, you know, groups. Here's, here's what I would actually say to that. Um, people like uh, uh, people, caring people need that work more than the uh, work actually needs them. Like Andrew Yang says a lot, we need as humans work like to do something with our day more than work actually needs us to do provide value to the business because we are as humans expensive compared to what we're producing now. Hmm. Well, we do need the, we do need the work in in terms of purpose. What I'm saying, saying it is what I'm saying is if we had like an American scorecard that could better show where we have demand shortages, including demand for care, demand for charities, we could absolutely get the people who want to do that work over there to have meaningful lives, but they don't have money to move. They don't even know that those opportunities are there. And that's the main problem that I'm trying to call out. We can't have greed or the desperate grab for money drive our economy. We have to take control. We have to know what we want as humans, and we have to know what we are worth as a species. And of course, it's the assignment of uh, value to things. That's what we're really talking about. Exactly. What, how people uh, you add want your value. Money, you want your money to be based on value and not And right now, we are basing it on debt. And so increasing total indebtedness in the world in, creates a GDP that's phenomenal. Well, you know, if everybody I would actually, somebody else I would actually, them, I would actually argue that GDP. it's not just debt. <laughs> debt is actually a great thing in an economy. It's a function of immediate demand. However, in our economy, we have replaced a lot of actual value adding demand with debt. So, for example, businesses will buy hedge funds or do stock buybacks to increase their stock price. That does nothing absolutely nothing to add value to their production chain, their value chain, marketing, their to increase their markets. No additional production happens from buying back your own stock. Well, now, I, I don't agree that uh, marketing is of no value in the world. I mean, no, no, no. I was saying marketing has the, value. I was, okay. I was trying to juxtapose uh, buying stocks to everything that a business does, including marketing. Okay. Well, somebody <laughs> uh, somebody has a job, right? Things. But what 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 we're ta- what you're talking about is since it doesn't it's like administrators are not because but I think ac- yeah, actually, you know, administrators are absolutely necessary <laughs> and they do do important things. Oh, I absolutely <laughs> agree. I, I I wasn't trying to say that. I was trying to describe how a business mm-hmm. a, with its assets chooses its priorities by buying more financial instruments in the stock market rather than expanding their employees, expanding their marketing, or expanding their uh, ability to make what they do or, pro- or provide the service that they do. Mm-hmm. It's well, more stock, profitable to... The stock market is, is necessary because people have money that they want to grow and they don't know what to do with it. I, They're not going to use it for, you know... Yeah, if I may... So, if I may. Uh, What I described in, um, I think it was chapter five or six, either it was the debt chapter or inflation. I describe how in our current economy, we are focused on inflation and eternal growth. And those are based on our population needing to grow and that we need to keep giving people high standards of living. 
Unfortunately, deflation is very powerful in any economy. Trading money around for limited resources creates deflation. So the government has to do a lot of work to actually keep this inflation going. And that is the key of the problem. We have inflation targets. We try to keep the money supply ever growing when we have done everything. We have more homes than homeless. We have more food than hungry people. We aren't distributing it appropriately because it's not profitable to distribute it appropriately. And that's the problem. We need to right. focus on making the dollar more powerful rather than increasing assets or increasing financial speculation in our stock markets. We have, we have plenty of that, but we don't have enough money going down to people. And if businesses had more incentive through deflation to pick up new dollars instead of speculating that an asset will grow in dollars, then they will be focused on building new factories, building new buildings, and hiring more people to service more people. Same time, it's about a, focus. a problem with uh, burnout, where I think we're actually creating people who don't want to do anything by forcing them to do things they don't want to do. So, like, you can burn out to the point that you are no longer motivated to contribute to society. You just want to lay down and die. And I think society does that to you. I don't think people are born lazy. I think we have intentionally made people who are unable to function in the society we've created. Well, let's take a look at real human, uh, like right now in this coronavirus time, right? We've discovered that we only need a sub. These are the people we call the, the essential workers. They're providing essential services. And without them, we would not survive as a species or as individuals even sometimes. You know, some of us just can't, you know, get. So, um, I mean, the way that we've created our system is we've already met all of our base. We're at that point. We pa- we surpassed that, you know, with the amount of work that we have. And we're, we're putting people to work at things that are. And we know what they are because we were able to, you know, figure that out. And so there's there's a sense that we're creating a lot of work that's absolutely unnecessary to do. but We do it. But shouldn't we decide as individuals what that work is? And, and not only that, I think the real human condition, you know, we think in order to not, and we work in order to not. <laughs> so it's very frustrating that you have to, you know, after you would, you'd be like, I clean the house, you know, and it's very repetitive. There are things like, you know, it would be nice if after I mop, I could just not mop another day, right? So like thinking and creating, those are things to be done occasionally. And then if we can share that that idea around, everybody can benefit from it. So instead, we're making a system that, that just fights against all of this, you know, the natural uh, condition of humans. Humans should be lazy. That's why we want to work smarter and not harder. Actually, I really, I, I do agree that humans are kind of lazy to a point, but not, not like we're de- determined to be lazy. I actually put as a principle of social capitalism, that humans need a global sense of accomplishment. They always need a longing for progress, something that we've done incredibly. Um, Before it was taking territory, owning uh, more land, or falling a a rival kingdom in war. Uh, More modernly, it's what we've discovered, our moon landing, that we've uh, ended the Cold War, we've brought treaties and peace around. even with the uh, turbulence of political issues, we've done incredible work to reduce 
violence globally. And, but we haven't done anything more substantial until like the last couple of years with Starlink becoming a space internet. So I think competition, the need for competition could be met through games, you know, things that are not, that are not warfare and actual violence and not actual, you oh, know. I, I already, be- I, I believe we're already there. Um, look at football. They, the way they do uh, offense, defense, and the entire game is built ab- around old sieges. <laughs> yes. And also video gaming. I think the satisfies a certain human uh, competitiveness. Uh, I, it can I satisfy a agree. lot of interesting needs Though, that people have. Yeah. I have the same criticism Andrew Yang has. Men specifically turn to these video games because they are easier to get that sense of achievement than the real world. And that's a major problem. And I think I, that the natural well, it could also of be... social stigma could be more than enough to deal with it. But right now with the desperation, it's just incredibly untenable. Yes, I mean, it can be considered a major problem in some sense, but it can also be considered a very, very uh, excellent uh, replacement for, you know, things that are negative. So <laughs> I, oh, I I'm, like, I'm inclined to having, feel happy that these young men are a, not trying to do something uh, that's destructive, you know, I think. Well, I think it can go a step further. Bad. I think uh, using video games to help rehabilitate violent prisoners would be a fantastic use of the technology. Uh, yeah, you got another right there, definitely. Um, there's a lot of drones and such that could be used to investigate locations and such that if we gamified that and sent human beings out to do it uh, through video games, we could actually get a lot of discovery and research done without actually having to be there, without having to send well, human well, resources and, to date. In my opinion, I would really mm-hmm. hope that humans individually have enough sense and curiosity to gamify the world around them for themselves at that point. I agree there should be government incentive, but I think a basic income would be more than enough. Speaking of gaming, I like to think of basic income a little bit as like a daily login bonus. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> a daily login bonus. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Seriously. It, it's it's so true. Because every day, uh, think about the millions of actions that you waste your chemical energy that you've eaten on that you are not paid for especially all that energy that's specifically helping the federal government, like abstaining from crime. You know how many opportunities ever <laughs> an individual has for crime in a given day? All of the opportunities. No, the more, let me just say, the more laws you make, the more opportunities you give. All right. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. I also, I also say uh, in my book that uh, laws are, are great and people will follow them, but only if there's a few number and they are directly understandable. If they're too many or too abstract, people lose the intention and the focus and won't actually adhere. Well, but that's not how humans work. Like, we don't check within ourselves whether this is legal constantly. Uh, maybe some people No, do. no, but <laughs> most, <laughs> most people, and our uh, court of laws see this as well, are prudent and wouldn't do something that is flagrantly, that would be flagrantly uh, criminal, like hurting someone or stealing from someone. I have actually heard that the laws that exist are so intense and um, extensive that at any point, if a cop decided to come into your home to try and find something to arrest you for, he could probably find 10 things that you're technically doing that are illegal. Oh, yeah. They are that insidious, but that's the key thing. If there's a cop that will enforce it, that's the, uh, that's the real beauty of our uh, American legal system is that someone has to bring a complaint before a court 
before anything really happens. So it's not actually a, a um, good feature system or a good feature of any justice system that it, you know, that uh, it depends on uh, humans. Oh, no. To, you know, I, I think that <laughs> is the decide. reason. Yeah. I think that is the reason our founders made our court the way it is. Because if you have upset someone so much that they are willing to take legal action against you, you probably deserve it. And there are absolute extreme situations like slap suits, which take advantage of this fact. But those can be mitigated with other more sensible laws that most people will never even hear about. Also taking some bad advantage of them on the social side, some of these uh, laws. We basically made it illegal to be gay for a while by saying you couldn't have intercourse in your own home without, you know, and people took advantage of that. People did try and throw people in jail over that kind of thing, even though it was intended to be behind closed doors. So we have to be careful about the laws, even if they aren't always acted on, they can be incredibly dangerous for a substance. Absolutely. I uh, talked about that in chapter seven on law. It's one of the greatest blind spots of my father. He is an incredible loyalty to written laws, even though the way that they are interpreted or enforced can be grotesquely different from the uh, intended meaning. For example, the Portland protests are a great example of our Department of Homeland Security intending to be used to help defend against invasions, actually detaining American citizens. It's... It's on the books. They have the legal right to do it. The charges aren't held because our justice uh, system recognizes it's an inappropriate application. But the enforcement can be done because it's written down. That's exactly what I was talking about, yes. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I've been taking a lot of my cues of my talking points from your chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have. I've noticed that Mia is very slowly going through your... um talking points in the book. Yeah, I did try to keep it uh, short and focused on why we need basic income and why we need to adjust to it smoothly. It needs to be done now, but that it needs to be done now so people can actually adjust to what having cash feels like. Um, well, I think, yeah, we have a, to tie that uh, social, we have to tie the justice aspect to universal basic income because that's where each person gets a basic amount of power to determine, you know, how the legal system is going to respond to them also, because without money, you can't access law. Yeah, you really can't. You have to pay for so much to properly, even to the state. Like, uh, I technically have the freedom to grow cannabis as a medical patient under our law, but I still have to pay a fee to the state to get a license because that's what the Department uh, of Health decided for the law. And that's kind of the difference between what's written in statute and what's enforced by departments. Well, money drives, um, you know, every kind of social justice issue because, first of all, you needed money in order to have a good education to even understand the law. Then second of all, you'd have to have money to influence the people who and lobby for the laws that you, you require to, to keep you safe specifically and to benefit yourself. And then you would need money to, you know, like take care of yourself if in case somebody were to bring a complaint against you and you're just like, wait a minute, I need to defend myself, right? And if you wanted to bring a complaint against someone else, it's just, 
every single step of um, how we live in our society does require, you know, input and in, in, in financial input. It, it really does. And that's, that's kind of the pain of this because we are already since 1920 in modern monetary theory. And it was enforced in 1970 when we took ourselves off the gold standard. I say that because about 1920 is when uh, income taxes were actually made constitutional. And that really is the sink for uh, modern monetary theorists of how a government creates demand for its currency. So let me ask well, you... Okay, go ahead. You go ahead first, Faye, because I'm moving on to a different subject. And if you have something to say about this, go ahead. That's all right. You, we can move on because, yeah, the, the, you are the person who is, um, you know, moving this conversation forward. And I'm going to let you do that. Well, um, all I was going to say was um, you talk about your father and how he's resistant to a lot of these ideas, both here and in the book a few times. Um, what have been like most convincing arguments for somebody who is resistant for this that you found? Uh, honestly, it's the expert opinion. Uh, meet them where they are and try to show them that they are an American and they are of vital national security interest and they should be paid as such more than the oil companies because an oil company is not going to fight an invading country. So we could maybe say that um, we should ask these people to consider themselves as kind of a product of America itself to almost. I, I would, I would to love to think that that works, but Andrew Yang was saying that for two years that Americans are unpaid shareholders of the American government and no one listened. Well, not enough people listened. So I, I'm not sure what the message is, and I think it's going to be very specific to whoever you're talking to, because conservatives are going to have different qualms with it and different benefits with it than neoliberals are, and actual progressives are also going to have problems with it until they are fully explained. So it really depends on who you're talking to. So there's not really a lot of common ground then? There's a lot of common ground that people should be valued, just like religion has found common ground and people should be valued. But beyond that, there's no perfect common ground. And uh, I, I'm so um, I I saw that if in my copy of your book, OK, chapter 10 starts off my perfect utopia. Do you still have this? chapter in your book and what did oh, you I, end up I, putting there? I finished it um if you check the new uh the link in the uh, documents channel on the discord uh that should have chapter 10 as well as the conclusion for chapter six uh, i'll read the conclusion for chapter six while you guys uh find uh chapter 10 in that new one yeah i was going off of the um when you sent me in an email actually a week ago um that might be a bit of an older one uh like I said, it doesn't have the end of chapter six or chapter 10. Um, but let me read the end of chapter six. We're about six. to hear it, though. <laughs> I want to. Okie dokes. Um, so the last uh, paragraph I believe that you guys have is capitalism marries two core human skills, mathematics and narrative storytelling. Social capitalism binds social and cultural aspects of humanity into how and why we do our economy providing a three-dimensional look at the meaning of production, profit, and efficiency. Humans are infinitely valuable due to our ability to create culture and science. 
Using an incredibly loose definition of both, culture creates questions of the universe, science answers questions of the universe. Neither are effective or efficient in time, energy, or resources, yet both have truly infinite value to every human. They must be undertaken and seriously invested into to bring forth the full value. The past half century has been lacking in major pushes for our species. The last major achievement was the moon landing in 11969, 51 years ago from 1220 when I am commenting. Only this year are we seeing a space, space internet infrastructure being built by a private company. This is woefully overdue. We should be putting heavy industry on the moon by now. We have an incredible debt to pay to our ancestors. We dishonor that debt by ignoring our duties as a species. We must achieve great things regularly, building a staircase of feats to the stars. Okay, now I, I didn't get that um, in my copy, so thank you for reading. Uh, but my question is here, uh, I, I live in a community where there are a lot of people who are wanting to go backwards in time. You're talking about we should have already been there. And they're thinking, why do we ever need to go there? Why can't we go back to the way it was? And, you well, know, we, they, actually, they're survivalists. They want to learn again oh, to be, I you know. It. Yeah. I, I think that they absolutely should try and take on their survival survivalism. However, they need to step up their game. They need to create a space program for themselves to take a module into solar orbit and see how long a human can survive in that ungodly radiation and innovate, really create change on how we survive outside this pale blue dot. That's what I want from humanity. We aren't being paid enough to do these sorts of feats. Well, I think that that actually, we should be taking that on as a group um, in, in our entire nation and not necessarily be leaving that to a private a private organization because oh no no are, i believe that private organizations with profit motives are going to be the way that we pull ourselves off this pale blue rock but it's not going to be alone we have to do it right with our nation's aspirations behind it and that's why the american scorecard is so important because if we have private companies just going and stealing asteroids and doing crap on mars Without regulation? Yes, that's a recipe for disaster. Kind of sounds like borderlands. It's beyond borderlands. There are far more dystopian, capitalistic-oriented games. Well, it pretty much sounds like what's happening here on Earth. I mean, I don't, I don't see how that's any different. <laughs> it's already it's not what's going happening to be a right different. here. It, it's, it's not going to be that much different. It's only going to have different signals. Um, private companies are still going to be shitty, still going to be shady, trying to get as much profit as they can. Labor unions are going to be fighting their hardest in our course to provide for their workers in these extreme conditions. But we but that still doesn't have to sound like a future. That sounds like the present. I think we could <laughs> be moving. I need to. I think we need to move um, our unfortunately, narrative forward. This, you know, unfortunately, there's this overwhelming prevalence that once we get to the future, everything is solved. We are in the future right now. You and I are talking thousands of miles away from each other right now. We hey, are Andrew Yang just said that. <laughs> and we are having the problems. The problems will never leave. They will gain in complexity and we have to control them. Right now, we have to deal with the problems of our political order and our economy. 
two core basic things that we thought we had solved until the context changed. And our, our good old growth is good, inflation is great, go get some debt. All that mentality is now toxic. But it's always been toxic. I think it has. It's in 1900 to 1940, we had an amazing period of growth, reduction in poverty, reduction in all kinds of terrible deaths of despair. And it was because we were expanding our capital markets. Yes, capitalism does have problems. I, but I don't when know we are if I really agree right, with that because, uh, you know, being Asian and all, <laughs> not having been in the United States in my family at that period, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, the pure good that you're talking about, right? I feel like you can it's also not talk a pure about good. that it's, as it's the like, beginning. It's like chocolate or sugar. You can have it, yes, and a lot of people can have a lot of it. But at a certain point, you're going to kill yourself long-term with diabetes or immediately with a heart attack. It has to be moderated. It has to be used appropriately. And that's where we are getting it wrong. We are just going after capital speculation in financial markets that pretty much don't exist. Like I was describing with Shopify, its valuation doesn't make sense. There's no way that that company can actually pull that much money out of its market. Yet investors keep throwing money at these companies. And then we encourage individuals to take on debt that they can't handle. And well, individual debt good. Is, is good if it increases your production. But yes, we need individuals to actually pay for things with real money. And that's where a basic income is so crucial. We need deflation to have a more fulfilling economy, but we can't allow a deflationary spiral to crush our regional economies. And that's what will happen if we do a shift too fast. Um, so the reason why I, I prefaced what I said before with the fact that my family history wasn't in the United States and that I'm Asian, the reason I bring that up is because the the history of this period is written by what we call the victors. <laughs> I, if yeah. you looked at the other people who were involved during this period of time, they may have told it a certain different way. And there were definitely people who were not victors during this period. Oh, absolutely. The, the first half of the 20th century was really the last spurting of political violence from nations, uh, specifically the major powers. Uh, with the uh, two world wars, we developed to such a point that we recognized if we kept going, we would flatten ourselves ridiculously. So I Even, think actually it, it may be considering you're, you could say um, that it's sort of a rapacious culture in a sense, the capitalism. And and this doesn't seem to rise to the problem of, uh, you know, doesn't rise to a real problem until it's destroying even the victors, which is not which is not necessarily OK, because there shouldn't be oh, victors in the first place, in a sense. It should be that everybody has a more. This uh, is an oppressive capitalism. What we are living in is an oppressive capitalism without a basic income. You are forced, no matter what you do, to toil for the percentage of another, to exploit your neighbors, or to exploit some other resource to make your so, ends meet. There right, is which no... is why I think, yeah, it, 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 you have a uh, you know system of thought that incorporates the possibility of aliens, right? <laughs> we're talking about the stars. We're talking about, you know. Uh, well, there's always much, the possibility. Much bigger. 
Right. Okay. So when you say we might not have been the first to get there, it's because of all the things that we know we're the first, but there could be something else. What could it be that something else has to be alien, right? Alien to our, to even our planet possibly. But the idea of, um, so, so why is that scary is because what if that alien culture, that, that alien culture could be good for us. It could be dangerous for us. There are two different possibilities, right? Or it could be just, just doesn't care about us whatsoever and doesn't really, you know, have anything with us. Maybe it doesn't even interact with us really. So we don't even know, think of them as well, being life. There's a few different possibilities for the solution to the Fermi paradox from what we understand of physics right now. Um, okay. Is that, does that relate to the aliens theory that I'm talking about? It, it, yes. Fermi yeah. paradox is all about aliens. The, the Fermi thing. paradox is as questioned by Dr. Fermi himself. If life is so readily abundant, where is everybody? That right. is the paradox. Okay. So we've got these, so we've got these, this possibility and we're kind of racing against the possibility, some of the, the more negative aspects of the possibility, but we could also be racing towards a, a positive aspect of the of these different possibilities. We don't know. We could. So, I, I really so. like to think that we there is a social attraction that has aided our species to pull ourselves up from the dirt, from the animal world, to build buildings, to build infrastructure, and to create borders and nations that can exert political influence on a world that didn't even know what politics wa- was 5,000 years ago. I honestly it's, think of uh, us well, as self-domesticating. Well, in a way, yes. By self-governing, we are self-domesticating. Okay. Um, but the thing is, if you have these these possible futures in mind, right? The system that we have is the kind of person that we don't want to meet. It's the kind of alien that we don't want to meet. And that's why <laughs> we have to race so incredibly hard and why I am in real pain some days because of how woefully behind we are if we so, don't like take in control, story form okay well, the narrative okay. the narrative form of this is um we are racing against ourselves to become the kind of you know aliens that we would like to meet someday because if we become that then there's a good chance species have done that but whereas um, you know whereas if we cannot ourselves pull ourselves out of this situation and continue to be the kind of you know aliens we would not like to meet then uh, what are the chances, you know? <laughs> so there's, there's, a, there's a few possibilities of where we are. Uh, some of the more, um, what I would say, radical or least likely are simulation theory, where we're all just a bunch of digits in an experiment or like a Petri dish on a uh, shelf just going away. Um, what I think is more likely is if we are an experiment, we are going to hit a technological level and then have back taxes uh, to pay whatever alien civilization was isolating us um, from the greater universe of galactic government. And if uh, further down the line, uh, we could also see um, just individual, what we would consider like godlike celestial beings who would literally just eat some asteroids for energy and make stuff like space structures out of their body. Crazy, uh, truly end game uh, life Um, that would appear pretty natural, like a nebulous cloud in the distance to us. Um, But between those possibilities, I I see uh, a lot starker possibility if we aren't the firstborn, if uh, we have to 
be under another species that got all the knowledge in the universe before us. And the exponential gains means that a species could do that if they were only a couple hundred years ahead of us. What kind of things you need to be able to do to do those kinds of things kind of um, eliminate the thought that they would be dangerous to us on a need for resources level. Oh, no, they would have infinite energy. They would have absolutely everything they ever wanted except power over another species. And that is something that is pretty, pretty dang core to life, unfortunately. Our domination in the early human era when we killed off Neanderthals is evidence enough that if someone isn't close enough to like us or isn't uh, culturally enough like us, we won't accept them, like even as an alien civilization. And I don't doubt that another alien civilization would have similar feelings. I think I'm on, uh, is it Groucho Marx on this one that would accept me <laughs> as a member? <laughs> so I I would actually you know much rather not meet uh, these other siblings of ours if they if they're uh, anything like you know uh, until well, we can. We I mean, can like I said, either I would want to meet you know either the great filter is the story or bacteria or some other lower life that we would absolutely just consider animals and so far beneath us that we would just use them as economic products like we do cows. Um, Or we are going to find another species that has reached the end game or is at least so far along that we have real ethical problems with using another species like that. There is one other possibility, and it's the other thing humans do with animals, which is use them for entertainment. So, and in my opinion, that's far worse than just economic production. It's incredibly worse because the um, thing is, then a, a lot of what's important about us is recognizing sentience. And I think you mentioned this in the book too. And uh, it's incredibly important that whatever species we encounter, they see us as sentient and as feeling and as more. Yes, than- I do. I talk about that in the first chapter. I think it's like the third paragraph. I describe how some of the first observations of social capitalism are incredibly depressing. Uh, life is nothing more than an accelerant to the heat death of the universe, as our current physics describe it. Like you were saying, uh, Faye, life only exists to burn off heat a little bit faster. And how we burn off that heat will define how humanity is viewed as a species in this universe, whether we survive to the end or not. Well, there are two ways to burn off heat. Okay, one of them is to dissipate it out into the universe, and that therefore it and the other way is to organize it. So the other way is to sequester it, which has been happened. This is how coal was sequestered. All of that energy that was biomass then got crushed down, became denser bio, you know, denser uh, turned into coal, and so uh, turned into petroleum. But we're taking that out out of, and we're releasing uh, heat sink, and I am that very... is going to possibly destroy us. I'm very concerned about the climate crisis as well. However, the economic and political crisis is far, far more concerning to me than us producing more things with oil. And it's because well, we can I think actually, that, that, with I think enough, that most people would say, agree with you. Um, with enough investment, we can easily reverse a lot of this climate problem. Uh, the main issue is that we generally don't get more energy out of collecting this carbon, even though we can. So well, we I think a- most people would agree with you that they're much more concerned about the economic problem 
than they are. About <laughs> For example, the yes. pandemic or the, yes. uh, or, you know, like total I, I completely ecological agree. And collapse. It's- and I, I I agree. We are seeing both, and we really need to deal with both at the same time. But what is going to crush our ability to deal with the climate crisis is not having an economy to build with. And uh, we could really see social unrest well, from our political I order like cause that. Okay, I feel that people are, you know, justified in believing people would agree with you that that's more important. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we don't have a planet, of course, to do anything that we like to do so yeah, that's why you're talking about getting out the space <laughs> and trying to develop in space <laughs> but you know the thing the i think that it's a false idea that our economy is really suffering and that we are suffering there i don't agree that that is that we are no i the economy I have to really didn't disagree. exist and humans still did you know I, so I humans really can exist with without right that because uh the economy right now, as I would describe it and do describe it in my book, uh, is a lot of people, I believe it was 30 million people, who still don't have a solid income. And without a solid income, they cannot begin to build their staircase of capitalism. Yeah, but uh, the economy is easily fixed with a universal basic income. Oh, I know. We've, <laughs> we've all been chanting that we need basic income. Even the, even the Fed has said that uh, the House may need to consider drafting a basic income. Right. And so what, what I'm saying is that the, the, the harder problems just need to issue that money at the end. You know? I'm sorry, <laughs> it's, you it's not really there. that great. The it's harder not, problems are what? The harder problems are the ones we really need to put our attention on. And the easy problem we should just fix with by, with the universal basic income. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like... I, well, well, every time somebody talks about their economic hardship, I'm like, UBI. Pollution is you know? easy. It's way more difficult. And that's where we're butting, I think, where we're butting heads with other people on this. I mean, everybody knows there's a problem. Everybody knows the solution is pretty simple once you are introduced to this idea. And yet, getting it through and making it happen is going to require a lot more energy than it should. Well, no, people don't really know that it's simple. And that oh. is really the problem is that when we you talk, know, I'm not sure people I take they don't Andrew Yang literally enough I, because his floor description oh. is really beautiful, not just in its uh, uh, easy description for uh, fixing our safety net. But if you build a house and you like you put down a foundation, you have to like clean it, sweep it and before you can put walls around it so that it's at least clean and doesn't have problems on it to work with. A basic income yeah. really is just cleaning up the mess that we have and seeing what is too big to just pay away. But hi, Ser- Ariel. Hi, Did you guys. Just join us? Yeah, and the, the good news is, is this is this is I'm 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 calling in from my uh, Ubuntu uh, Linux instead of Windows, and it's much better. It's like Windows always made a lot of noise in the background, and you know used up so much energy, so. It's better. <laughs> sure, I see your microphone keeps going in and out. Is everything okay? Well, Michelle may or may not be fully here with us. But, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. That's- so we are actually, um, I think we just uh, started talking about how simple solution to uh, all these economic fears that people have. Yeah. Uh, I nobody just, will believe us. I mean, it seems well, like well, you know, well, there's a group like, that will I, believe in it. And then there's well, the got, rest of the world is like terrified of it for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds well, you me know, of you that Rick and Morty bit. Thing. 
the uh, <laughs> one where uh, the President Morty in the primary is talking about uh, the Citadel and how uh, there's a group of Ricks and Mortys that want to feed off of its death and the rest of them. Yeah, well, well, you know, you guys, I really think the people who really don't want this to happen are like the predators, the cheaters, and the snake oil salesmen of the world. And unfortunately, they control a lot. And um, it's it's much easier to kind of uh, lie and trick people and sell, you know, garbage and junk to people who are desperate rather than to people who are stable. Yeah, so you know I don't I think mean. that it's like a really small of our um, uh, economy because in order for your product or for your own self to be used, I mean, the more valuable you are. So Fair basically, plan, yeah. I'm a taxi driver in my town, which I was, right? It's it's mm-hmm. benefits me to not have any other taxi drivers. So you, have, right? If you if I have like three or four other taxi drivers here, now I got to compete with them. Somebody might lower rate, you know, yeah. and. So I'm trying to prevent other people from starting a taxi business here. Uh, instead of trying to make sure that everybody has a ride, right, whenever they right. need one. So, and, so this is not just something that snake oil salespeople do. This is something that average, everyday, every single business person is trying to make themselves more valuable. Even as an employee, you want yourself to be more valuable than you do, right? Well, there's, right. A, there's a lot more in, insidious action going on with employees and their value right now. Uh, Dan Price brings up a lot that uh, employers will only look at like past work history and like try to get away with what they can pay you instead of what the work is actually worth. Oh yeah, of course. Oh, sure. Amazon and... could pay you a lot more, but they're not going to just because they can, <laughs> you know? Right. So, well, actually, Amazon is a really interesting case because they are now lobby- lobbying for higher uh, minimum wages and for better labor, uh, uh, labor um, powers. But and that's because time, we're at the point that uh, Bezos is going to get eaten <laughs> by, yes, by, the, by the unsatisfied really, people who work for him it, and who buy things from him. So, Oh, it's, it's way more than that. Amazon is positioning itself to be the only game in town. If you make something or want to sell something, you're going to have to sell on Amazon. And right. It's uh, become it's a natural it's, situation it's, to the point where even, even Bezos is this is disgusting. Uh, it gets more disgusting when you realize that he is at the forefront of automation and he's going to have zero labor costs in a decade. Well, yeah. Well, there will always I mean, be the one person who fixes all the computers well, and, well, and makes sure that everything gets oiled. Oh, no, this, no, no. This is the, the thing. Capitalism has an answer for that cost reduction as well. Business as a service. So he can just hire a con- a consulting or a contracting company to fix the computers whenever they break and then never pay that person outside the service. If he even bothers not to build a machine to fix the machine to fix the machine. And to build the other machines that will fix the machine. Well, and to also well here, here's, here's the really gro- gross part that, that, that pisses me off. We're talking about, like, reopening our schools. Well, you know what? Who gives a crap? What opportunities are going to await one of these students who go back to these schools to like do anything after this is all over. So it doesn't, it, it, at this point, it's like they can learn more online anyway. And you know, our, our schooling has been just totally and completely obsolete in this new economy. And, and these kids are still learning things from like 
1960s. They're still. I mean, I mean, how long is it that people even use a notepad and a paper and a pencil? And but when everything is a digital on your phone and on your computer on your laptop. No idea what the last few things you said there was because it turned into kind of a DJ uh, skip rock. Like you could have been doing techno there. Oh, that's weird. Okay, what about now? Is it is it better or is it? Yeah, it was just for a moment. Slow down your diction a little bit so that it can keep up with you. Oh, hmm, that's weird. I said I said that that these schools are still using papers and pens and notebooks and learning stuff from the 1970s when everybody's keeping their informations on like computers and pads and phones and stuff like that and and communicating all over the world and they're not trapped in like a box. Well, our um, our our country is now moving to payout during the time of coronavirus, and supposedly more than fifty, you know, people surveyed in our country are saying that they all. I think Discord is having problems. Yeah, Faye's really cutting think, in and out a, a bit. Uh, I think we all are, except you, Sheridan. I didn't. Am I going yeah, in and out? Okay. Me is all right too. No. Me as well. Yeah, I hear Mira just fine. Me and Faye. I think Shale's having an issue too. <laughs> oh man, this is I just guess. fun. Yeah, I guess Zoom works better. I don't know. Uh, uh, Zoom, but- sc- Zoom scrubs your data so hard. That, uh, I was reading a uh, a colleague was doing a Zoom call and he said the words Pepsi, and the next hour after he got off of Zoom. He had nothing but Pepsi ads all over his Twitter timeline. Um, wow. That's really crazy. interesting. I think maybe yeah. if we're having some technical difficulties, yeah. this might be a good time to actually end our um, end our um, time together. It's been almost two hours, I think. Well, there's wow. one last thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, and all there right. was uh, Ariel brought up how there isn't going to be uh, jobs for these people who are getting skilled up and educated uh, outside this pandemic, and uh, that's very true. There was a report right. That, They're being uh, lied right to now, that there will be a job waiting for them. Mm-hmm. There, that right now there is one job for every five Americans. Right. So we are so beyond full employment that if we want to keep our capitalism, we have to start paying people to actually use our economy. Well, I think that um, this relates to the this relates to how people feel the need for for work. Now, I don't think that work is really what people are feeling. What people are feeling a need for exactly purpose. I I feel like I have a a great sense of purpose doing this podcast. You know, it's like like a job. It's very job like. I perform a service. I believe. I don't think it's audacious Mm -hmm. for me to think I'm performing a service for all of you speaking and everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is a thing of some value. Um, But, you know, I'm paid zero dollars for it, but I do it because I know it is good work. Good work is inherently satisfying. So this assertion that people will stop doing anything productive or good because they have money is nonsense. And we should just really treat it like a non-starter. And that's why I describe that we need it so critically because we need people to actually move, to change where they are, to find a community that's better fit for their maximum production. And, 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 you know, you know, you know, like what the biggest problem we have are uh, zombies. 
Uh, but I'm telling you, it's not like zombies in a way that, like, you know, they're walking around the streets and they want to eat brains. I'm talking about intellectual zombies. I'm talking about NPCs that get caught up in these stupid culture wars and can never, like, go outside of their own intellectual bubble to think of something else. And the story. Well, yeah. I love you, man. But we've had this conversation before. Let me take it in a slightly different direction. Zombies, right? Let's talk about how to reach them. Let's talk about language and trigger words, right? Now, when I say to say we're talking to a zombie, someone you would say is a zombie. If I say like, "Hey, um, do you think that when people uh, have money, they're going to stop working?" They've been they've been talked to about this a lot, so they'll say, "Oh, yes, it's a problem. It's it's going to be you know everyone's just inherently lazy, and the miracle's going to stop." Okay, but if you ask them. Do you think if people have money, they're going to stop doing good things or productive things? They might, they might give a different answer, you know? So a lot, of, a lot of this just comes down to not sort of triggering people's mental landmines when, in a conversation. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Yeah. It's just that. Well, it's, also, it's I mean, the narrative seems to be that uh, work is what we need, when in fact, work is not a need. It's just a way of meeting a need. Uh, the reason people wouldn't do work is because work is also so, right? I, I mean, doing things for yourself, is, but when in fact all people are motivated to meet their things for them. So there's no, yeah. Oh, oh we sorry. can't hear. I cannot hear you. You are cutting out terribly. Um, okay, I should probably just uh, sign off for myself anyway. All right, Faye, uh, why don't you type uh, exclamation point credit and then, uh, you know, type your name and your Twitter handle so it's added to the SEO document so Bart gets it, our, our SEO robot. And um, and then and then you can um, give us your, your, your sign off. But um, just, Ariel, I didn't mean to, uh, to, to stop you from explaining what a zombie is in case people haven't heard you talk about that in the the last time you talked about it you know this is your verbiage and uh please please go continue i didn't mean to cut you off but i just uh, wanna, did want to take it in a productive direction so just please uh, please right. continue saying what you were saying yeah and it's kind of like um I'm, I'm not gonna name any names over here but there are a lot of um uh o- online uh pro- products that want to like sell you a uh like a dream and uh and they use all sorts of psychological tactics to get inside your head saying you know you you buy this kind of like course for this much money and you know you know we'll we'll teach you how to like make this or create this or yada yada and you'll have financial freedom you know so on and so forth so some sometimes the the thing is is that like sometimes you want to keep that course creator that you bought that thing from accountable and say okay like i've i've done everything you said in the course and thing and i'm not seeing my results but but it's but then you think that everybody is going to be like that like everyone is going to say like yeah where are my results i'm not getting my results and this his system or this person's system isn't working and you know this is a load of bull but there there a lot of these people who get taken in by the hype are the the zombies like no matter what happens or no matter how much the system or the guy promising change has failed them they're they're always blaming themselves and they never want people to speak out against the abuser or the liar the snake oil salesman so it it's it's a zombie that has a Stockholm syndrome. 
and um and that and that's the thing and their stockholm syndrome is just so powerful that it's it's hard to get them out of it but i think that that what the democratic party was trying to do with trump was like what you said you don't you don't like shout at them and scream at them and yell at them and you know go all crazy but yang finally you know pierced his way into that MAGA barrier saying like, Hey, I know why, you know, you might've you know voted for Trump and you know, all the problems you had and how they weren't being attention to. But then there are just those that are, no, they are the true, true zombies. And hopefully there's less of them than more of them because no matter what you say, or no matter how much logic you want to put in an argument or how much sense you make, they're just fixated and that that's it's it's like their minds have been completely replaced with dogma and ideology and uh, you just want to just want to kind of steer clear from those those people i have a suggestion on how to activate those people so they wake up would you like to hear it <laughs> yes <laughs> i know that this probably sounds silly at first but i think a lot of the reason why andrew yang was so effective at waking up people who you would have thought would be zombies at one point is because everybody wants to feel summoned or called to a greater good. Mm, so yeah. I think it's important that when you're addressing these people that you give them a sense of purpose to be on your side too. somebody that they are personally saving something that is personally connected to their life that makes them feel like they are serving a higher purpose by joining your cause. And I think that's mm. also why so many people get addicted to those, uh, those scams you're talking about, because that person gives them a sense of accomplishment, even if it's a false sense of accomplishment. And they don't want to live that. They're addicted to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. With a lot of um, uh, charisma. Charisma. That's what I mean. that, that talks about, you know, that, that like, like, because everybody wants to hear like, feel like they're the hero or they're the good guy or they're the savior. So give them I mean, that's how save. Hitler came to power. Give them a good person to save. Find right. a way for them to apply the skills they've learned, supposedly, in a direction away from the person that they're addicted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Find some I think that's the um, zombie cure. <laughs> I could say it. Uh, Think about how many people said they just did not feel like they were part of anything or like there was a purpose for them until Yang showed up. And he pointed them in a direction where they could do some good and where they could feel like they were applying themselves. That's the difference. And they feel like they're applying themselves in these scenarios. And just because they're not getting those results doesn't mean they're not still getting the action and the reward and the satisfaction of having Mm. accomplished those small goals that person's giving them. Even if they're in the long run actually going backwards they feel like they're moving forwards that's true yeah yeah that's that's what they do uh yeah because 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 it's like a tribe it's it becomes tribalistic and it's like they're defending their their unfortunately uh these people become deities to them because they give them that sense of belonging and purpose and uh you just gotta kind of say like hey like um there's a there's a more powerful belonging and purpose somewhere else. And just look at Trumper for Yang. So yeah, that's possible. 
Yeah, and it's very possible. And these social structures are invented by us to help us move things forward, but they can be just as easily abused. Yeah, that's true. By the opportunists and the kind of like people of the world who, you know, get get the that light and kind of turn it into darkness. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. And it's it's like you gotta. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, and and never, never come at them at first, like head on. And arguments not about well, like not about like, is you like that guy? Wow, you know, I've seen some of his stuff, and some of it makes sense. But you know where it really connects to this guy over here? He says this. That's kind of like what you're saying there. And I think you mm-hmm. could apply that knowledge to this thing and find yourself to be more effective. Yeah. Or, or, or like telling them that, you know, I was in your shoes before or I was, you know, thinking like you and um, that works good, too, because it's like, like, oh, like you, you know, you were on that path that I was on once happened, you know. Yeah. The most important thing is not to shame them for being on a path they didn't know was right. And part of that yeah. is part of that is containing the urge to tell them, look, you're wrong. Because nobody, yeah. everybody shuts down with the moment that somebody tells them they're wrong. They're, they're the human instinct. Yeah, it's amazing that um, like that's so much of the Democratic Party's platform before Yang came in. I don't know. Is that everybody else is wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're just much. dismissing potential voters. So their 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 platform. The Democrats went. The Democratic establishment went from having the position of needing to win voters by having a good platform to feeling entitled to voters and trying to shame anyone who didn't support their platform into supporting it. And that's what they're doing today. No, no, I think uh, Liberty Smurf uh, got it best. This is the DNC's election to lose. They are willfully tossing this to the side. On on a different note, and I I apologize, I probably should be leaving soon, too, so we should wrap up, because I can hear... That's fine, it's after two already. ...bathroom, and I do not want a repeat performance of this morning. Okay, Mia, uh, please say say goodbye, and if you have time to type credit, and then, like, your name and your your, any URL you want to associate with with yourself, so it's in the SEO document, please do. If you don't have time to type it, that's fine, I'll add myself. But please, uh, you know, give your sign-off, Mia, we'll see you next time. Exclamation point credit? Yep, exclamation That's right, point with credit. an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to sign off verbally now. My name is Faye Koo, and it's been a pleasure to um, podcast with everybody. And thank you to all our listeners um, for joining us. And my um, <laughs> the way you can contact me is to reach out to me on Twitter at Palestine Math or on Facebook, uh, Faye Koo on Facebook or the Yang Gang Report. And I am Mia Songbird, at Mia Songbird on Twitter. Um, that's the only way you can really contact me because I ignore pretty much everything else. But uh, you can also uh, talk with me live Tuesdays and Fridays through the Humanity Hangs with Humanity Forward. Um, usually you can find a link to those to register um, at Humanity Forward's Twitter page or their actual page. And I hope to see everybody here next week. Uh, I think I'm going to be moving to Saturdays in the future. So I will uh, see you guys there. So awesome to have you today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing your your, uh, your story with us, Mia. We'll, we'll see you next time. Have a good, good, good luck. You guys have a wonderful yeah. day, and thank you for luck, the book today too, Sheridan. I actually enjoyed this conversation greatly. 
I really enjoyed it too. It it is really good to talk with a couple of people who read it. Yeah, thanks for writing the book. It's good. Uh, you know, it's good to get your ideas out there in a salient, uh, consumable form. So I hope we'll, we'll do. I hope to do more with the book in the future. I'm 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 aiming to get it published by the end of this year. So that sounds good. All right. Um, who hasn't signed off? Me. Um, my name is Ariel, and you can find me on Twitter at at Ariel's underscore Armada, and my YouTube channel, which is Revolutionary Thinking. Thank you, Ariel. Oh, did and I even sh- sign off? I'm no, you haven't. Sheridan at J Saber Gamer on Twitter, and you can find me to give me money on patreon.com slash not public. Thank you, Sheridan, the author of Social Capitalism and Social Commentary. Uh, I am Shale Riley at S H A E L R I L E Y on Twitter. Um, thank you for joining us. We will be back tomorrow at 12 noon Eastern and then Sunday at 4. So I hope you will join us again. Stay safe. Be good to each other. And uh, let's win basic income. Huh? Let's do it. Yeah. I Very believe it is completely doable and yeah. we are going to get it soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh-